And it's a true rags to riches story, but a little bit different than the ones you've heard before because in this story, Christ takes your rags and puts them on and gives you riches. You can read along with me. Text comes from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, the heart of the passage. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Dredge us deep. Widen our ability to take in what the suffering of Christ means. What was it all about? Why was he tortured so cruelly? Why the crown of thorns? Why the mocking? Why the nudity? Why the sword in his side? Will you open our eyes, Father, that this was a love gift for riches, the robe of righteousness for our rags. Pray you'd open our eyes to the word tonight. Transform us through the hearing of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a sober event. This is Good Friday, better translated as Holy Friday. Pray that tonight our hearts will be able to meditate on the cross. And we have a cross up here to remind us this is a real event. This is the pinnacle of our faith. Why don't we just hop straight to Easter? Because there was a Holy Friday that came before. Christ died for us. He saw every single thing that we did, and he said, put it on me. Imagine a, a new aunt and uncle eagerly entering a hospital, ready to see their newborn nephew. The two with the gift in hand rush to and fro down the corridors looking for the newborn unit. Finally, ah, here it is. They break through the doors, gift in hand, and realize they're in the wrong place because what they see around them are faces that are distorted, skin that looks like it's melted wax, missing noses, eyes and teeth. No, they have found their way into the burn unit. This was the shock that the Jewish authorities had when Christ came on the scene. There was no confusion on Christ's part, but there was a paradox. You see, they anticipated a ruler and a king who would come triumphantly, riding on a big white horse. But he came as a weakling, Galilee, 
like Joseph. Joseph's son, a carpenter's son, a blue-collar man. It was gruesome to them. We want Rome out of here. We want Caesar out of our land. We want them to know who's boss. They got the startling, suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of. It was not only the Pharisees, but John the Baptist, Jesus' very cousin, his older cousin, who said before baptizing him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John found himself in prison, perplexed. I thought there was a coming kingdom. What's going on here? He sent his disciples to speak to Jesus. Are you really the Son of God? Christ says, send the report back. Yeah, it's me. See, John the Baptist, along with every other Jew at that time, anticipated a triumphant Messiah, not the suffering servant that Isaiah saw in his vision. He expected royalty, honor, dignity, pride. And they saw humility, suffering, weakness. And Christ came as a suffering servant. But why? Why all the paradox? I thought he came to defeat death, but he died. I thought he came to end suffering, but he's suffering. I thought he came to bring wealth, but he's poor. He's born in a manger. I thought he came to make everything beautiful, but this was an ugly, ugly end. Isaiah brings us to the heart of the gospel. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Isaiah, in this heavenly vision, is taken some 500 plus years to the foot of the cross. And he sees this scene, the mystery unveiled 500 years early. And as he walks like Ebenezer Scrooge through this scene, he sees soldiers throwing dice for Christ's garments. He sees onlookers wagging their heads and saying, he could save others can he save himself he sees another guy walking by bored he's got a fill of the gore making plans for friday night but then as he leans in he sees something else he sees himself saying surely this man had it coming to him this is the picture that isaiah paints in verses one through three four, five, and six. It's a beautiful picture of the light bulb coming on and exploding over Isaiah's head. Oh my. Oh my. He realizes as he hears the echo of the Roman soldier's voice, truly, the 
This man was the son of God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Notice it says, he has borne our griefs. See, he didn't fly down like Superman and lift our griefs up off us like a car and heave it away. No, he lifted it up off us. Fragilizing himself, he went underneath it and was crushed for us. You see, Isaiah is speaking of something unheard of in the Jewish psyche. He's speaking of a strange exchange. A strange exchange. I give you my riches for your rags. The Messiah would come not as a triumphant king, but as a triumphant suffering servant. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. These next two verses, five and six, you can't find a better example of substitutionary atonement if you look through the whole New Testament. If you read the best of Reformed theology, it doesn't get any better than this. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. All we like sheep has gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't it odd that when Jesus was being killed, people thought it was because he had it coming? but it was really our badness all along that he was receiving as he received those blows, as he hung there. He was taking our pain. He stepped in for us. He was being crushed by our weight, by our personal decisions, by our time off, by our R&R, recreational, personal time. By our infidelity, he said, put it on me. Notice the clear depiction of substitutionary atonement. It's so clear. He was crushed for us. He was bruised for us. The fatherly chastisement was put upon him. Have you ever gone through any suffering? Christ, our Savior, relates with you. That's why we celebrate this Holy Friday, because he did not just rise again triumphantly. He died a terrible death. Now, I searched... I searched for an illustration. I prayed. I cried out. I read Reformed theology. I read the internet. I thought of personal stories. I looked all over, and I could not find anything to do justice 
I could not find any story to do justice. I started with Reformed Theology and I ended on YouTube. And there was nothing that could depict this strange exchange accurately enough. There's nothing out there. It's just an odd concept. So I'm going to ask if you'll use your imagination tonight. If you'll turn your eyes to the cross for our illustration. Or maybe if it's easier for you, you just close your eyes and imagine the gory puppet, Christ, on a cross, completely naked. Pieces of his beard are missing. He's bloody and tattered. Prophet Isaiah says he wasn't even recognizable as a man. It would have took a DNA test for him to be recognized by his own mother. Imagine the gruesome death. Experienced every form of torture on that cross. It wasn't just the physical pain. Though he drank that pain to the dregs. He took our sickness. He took upon him our disease. Are you lonely? He experienced lonely like no widow and no orphan has ever known. The Father turned his face away, and Christ, the Son of God, said, Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I'm utterly alone. The blackest loneliness you could ever fathom. of my personal story growing up without a father Christ understands fatherlessness Christ understands what it feels like to be betrayed he understands domestic abuse he understands little white lies he understands murder infidelity and the likes of every gruesome thing you could think of that you'd read in the daily newspaper. He understands it because because of the great exchange that Isaiah tells us of. I want us just to try to get in our hearts this. We see the cross so often, friends. We see it so often. We wear it on our necks. We put it on walls. We have pictures of it. But it was a gruesome sight. It depicted the horror of not just our sins, but the Pandora's box of evil all coming down and landing squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He bore not only our sins, but the weight of evil in the world came and Rashad ran down on him and he absorbed every single drop of it. The gory Christ hanging like a puppet on the cross, so easy to walk by and wag your head. 
so easy to walk by and say, it's no big deal. So easy to walk by 2,000 years later and say, that's nice. Why the gory Friday? God wants you to know a rags to riches story. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he didn't just come down like Superman and swoop you out of this place, but he came down and he experienced everything that you have experienced. Every isolation, every ounce of hatred, hatred and unfaithfulness, he experienced it to the fullness in pursuit of you. He's wild about you. Who else would come after you? Who else would endure suffering, beating, shame, nakedness, and murder on your behalf? Would your husband do it? Would your wife do that? Even if they could, there's only one perfect lamb, and he took it all on his shoulders. Now, there's an interpretation war that's going on inside each one of us every day, and we're thinking, I had the battle as I prepared this sermon. Do I really believe this? We recently got a cross up in our building, and I thought, that's really cool. But how deeply is the cross embedded in my heart? I thank God for Good Friday this year like I never have before. Each one of us have an interpretation war every day. Is it really for me? Because when I look at my life, I see very ordinary things, and I see, I don't feel like I belong to a royal priesthood. I see no dad in the picture. He doesn't pick up the phone, doesn't have any interest in talking to me. Some of you look around in your, your life and you say, if God exists, why did you let that happen to me? Where is such a good and loving and gracious God? Some of you feel completely alone and you say, is this what it means to be in the family of God? Some of you have sickness and you say, is this what it means to belong to the king of the universe? And the devil sits down by your bedside and whispers in your ear, does God love you? God really love you? Oh, I'm here to tell you that it was a gospel setup. He really does love you. And that's not demonstrated by a perfect life, but I tell you what, you take the devil's hand in your hand and you say, walk with me. I'm taking you somewhere. And you walk with that evil liar who's testifying every day about how much God doesn't love you. And you say, look at that cross. Doesn't he love me? Doesn't my God love me? You see, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Imagine this little boy named Joshua, Yeshua, grew up, had his favorite foods, favorite things to do, games to play, and he grew up, and he lived a perfectly sinless life. And around the age of 33, he said, put it on me, because I want you. I want you. 
prophet Isaiah is testifying with. You may be asking this right now. Why did he? Why did he die on the cross? What put him up there? I have a quote I want us to look at here and reflect on this. Who was it that caused the death and brought the suffering to our Savior? Not the Jews for envy, and not Judas for silver, but God for love. See, verse 6 says, All we like sheep, dumb little sheep, have gone off and thought, I can figure this out with my autonomy. I'm good without you. We've gone off to our own way, and the Lord, His Father, showed the greatest act of love known to mankind. It's so big, it's hard to imbibe. But take it in tonight. The Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. What a strange exchange. What a loving God. He pursues you. He's relentless. And I don't care what you've done. Receive this psalm from David tonight. No matter what you've done, surely, in Christ, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father,